Shylock himself. And my modern equivalent sees Shylock in a cemetery and knows it's Shylock. End of the problem. Uh, end of the problem of, of credulity. But then what do you do about how Shylock speaks? And this was the great, the grand um, challenge for me. How do I make Shylock big in the way that Shakespeare made him big? A powerful, mm. That's why I knew I had to have him. Because he's this powerful figure who's divided readers and theatre goers for 400 years. How am I going to do that? What kind of language is he going to speak? I'm going to have to somehow or other steep myself in Shylock so that the minute I create Shylock, he sounds like Shakespeare's Shylock, but isn't going to talk in blank verse. And that mm. was the, you know, it's not for me to say whether I've succeeded, but people seem to have liked that. I certainly was engrossed in it when I was doing it. I most enjoyed the doing of that. And I think what's at the heart of this are these kind of verbal tennis matches between Simon and Shylock where you really see their personalities come to life. What do you think is compelling about their relationship? Well, the, the advantage of keeping um, Simon Strulovich was that he would be able to talk to Shylock about things that would interest them both. A modern Jew, a Jew of 400 years before, a modern father, a father of 400 years before. They've got that in common. They've both... Simon Stulovich has got a daughter going off the rails. Shylock's daughter went off the rails. They both have wives. Simon Stulovich's wife is as good as not alive. She's had a stroke and just not there, really. And Shylock's wife died. We know that. Um, they talk about that, um, being fathers, being men, being Jews, the passage of time. And what would then be interesting was how would they meet? How would a man of now talk to a man of then? How would a Jew of now talk to a Jew of then, a father of now? And watching, watching the parallel lines and then the divergence from the parallel became dramatically very interesting to me. Um, Shylock, I thought, would be bound to feel that Simon Strulovich, as a modern, is a little bit lackadaisical about things, is a little bit easygoing. He himself is a much more rigid and stern man. Simon Strulovich, for his part, would feel, God, that Shylock really is, is a stern father. He's a tough man. and uh, The things he believes, he believes rather unswervingly. But that too can be attractive. So it was the coming and going of that, the abrasion of these two men and their belief systems and their way of being fathers. And I thought, ultimately, I hoped a tenderness. I didn't plan this, but I hoped a kind of tenderness, almost a friendship, would evolve between them. And I think that was what happened. The challenge to get that abrasion between them gave me more pleasure in the writing than anything I've done in years. And it seems to have given readers great great pleasure too. Some, we don't get a lot of men in modern novels. We don't get a lot of male friendship in modern novels, is what I suppose I'm saying. And we don't get a lot of men talking it out, talking from the bottom of their hearts to each other. And that's what they do. They talk about everything to each other. They talk about sex, they talk about jokes, they talk about women, they talk about children with, with great seriousness, though sometimes with comedy, because Shylock is capable of being very funny and very cuttingly sarcastic and so on. Mm. And that made it a very engrossing debate between them. Surely you're the, the master of dialogue between men in this and in the Finkler question, and there's been lots of comments about autobiographical elements in your novels. Where is Howard in the relationship between Shylock and Simon? Oh, I don't know where I am. I lost me a long time ago. I mean, people writing my my books think they know where I am and they think they find me. Um, in that case, they know a lot more about me than I know about myself. I think it's 
I mean, I am principled about this in that I think it is a writer's duty to lose himself. Um, it's clear you can never lose yourself altogether. There is a reason why you have the interests that you have, the preconceptions that you have, and the preoccupations was the word I wanted, actually. There's a reason why you have the preoccupations that you that you have, and those reasons will be located in your psychology and your biography and things. But I, certainly in this novel, I wasn't interested in prizing out anything about me. Uh, I don't have a daughter. I suppose only in this, I feel deeply about, in, in a kind of anticipation, you might call it a morbid anticipation, for a man's grief for a lost wife. I have written about this before. It's sort of, it's the thing I can most bear, I can least bear to think about in the future. How would I be if I lost somebody, the most, the person most close to me, if that person died?